one of the teens in our community uh, was killed in a car accident this last week, and one of our members actually works with the father of the young girl. So we lift up, I think it's the Heibel family, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. So a lot of concerns in our community and a lot of good things that are happening. Uh, good things like the baseball tournament, if you note, as you come on Sundays, we have some new neighbors that like to play ball in the morning. And uh, we also have a new person who's serving us in the building. So if you get a chance, uh, you can greet him as well. We're grateful for our schools, all of you who teach, all of you who volunteer, all of you who are involved somehow in our kids. Uh, our kids, as you know, as they leave the room, it kind of feels like half of our church is like a little crooked. So we are grateful for all of you. So my name's Sandy. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to talk about being great today. So when I say the word great, what comes to mind I was at a meeting this past week, and a man had a picture of the Great Lakes on his shirt, and it was pointing to different ones saying, great, really great, super great, not actually that great, just kidding, actually, it's still great. And I think that one was one of the Eastern ones nobody ever really remembers. So maybe you think of the Great Lakes. I used to live on the greatest lake on the planet, uh, Lake Superior. It's the largest freshwater body uh, on the planet. Maybe you think of goats, right? The goat, greatest of all time. Everybody with me? Okay, it's an acronym. The greatest of all time sometimes becomes a debate. Michael Jordan or LeBron James, thank you very much. Tom Brady or, okay, we got a couple of answers there. I know, see, that's the problem. Yeah, okay. Uh, sometimes maybe we might even remember Peyton Manning. That feels like a long time ago. Sometimes it's not even close, right? Serena and Venus Williams. There's just, I feel like there's nobody even in their category. Lionel Messi. Anyone soccer, okay? Or Muhammad Ali, for those of us that have gray hair, like I do. Someone asked me about my grandchildren this week, just so you know. <laughs> True story. Maybe you're more of an environmental fan, and you think of the Great Smoky Mountains. Or, because we're going to bring it up, you think political, make America great again, exactly. Or, in current American history, the Great Resignation. That's happened recently. Okay, well, I asked Brian this week, what do you think of when I say great? And do you know what he came up with? The thumbs up emoji. <laughs> Probably the most used uh, texting symbol. Emoji, that's what it's called. Okay, so what makes something great? Is it success? Is it wealth? Is it size? Is it just personal preference? Is it quality and long-lasting potential? What is it? Well, we're going to look at a chapter in the book of Matthew that may just mess with all of us today because it has messed with me. Uh, I have tried to get away, what I think this away from what I think this passage is saying, but I just can't. Uh, if you look on the back of the ministry guides, it talks about going deeper. I don't know if you have ever had conversations with people in church, and maybe you're not real fond, actually, of the sermon series or of the Bible studies that are being offered, or maybe just your own life feels a little flat, and you might say to a friend, gosh, I just want to go deeper. Well, we have looked at the story when Jesus was on earth calling followers, and he ran into some fishermen, and he said to them to go deeper to try again. And the lead fisherman, Peter, was kind of exasperated and said, well, because you say so, I will. Now, what happened is that even though these fishermen were quite uh, 
talented. It was a family business, so somehow the dad had done well enough. Now the boys are in the business, and they even have partners like Peter who are not related. They went out, and even though they had fished all night and they had caught nothing, they went out because Jesus said so. Well, they did, and guess what happened? Jesus was involved, so you know. They had a great haul of fish. I even bolded that in my notes so that I would emphasize it, okay? A great haul of fish. Incidentally, they left behind that great haul of fish in order to follow Jesus. Jesus flipped the script on them, and he said, instead of fishing for fish, we're actually going to, not in a creepy way, but catch people. Last week, we talked about going deeper and obeying the call, which many of us who've grown up in church or have been at pretty much any, any church for a long period of time, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Brian reminded us that really in the Greek, it's as we go to make disciples. This means that we all need each other. We are all making disciples of one another. We need help and we can help others. Well, today we're going to go deeper with what Jesus talks about greatness. Because even if you might say to yourself, oh, I don't really want to be anything great. I just want a normal life. I don't really want to be spectacular. I think on the inside, at least I want to be a little bit great, at least at one thing, or maybe two. Open to Matthew chapter 20. Now, I wish we had more time today because I could preach through all of chapter 19, chapter 20, and going into chapter 21 because I really think that heresy or bad theology hinges on one or two verses of Scripture. And if you only pull out one thing, you kind of get a narrow view of what's happening. This particular section of Scripture, they're dealing with things about wealth and the danger of money. They're talking about the difficulty of following Jesus. And people are very concerned with what they deserve. So in chapter 20, at the end of a story where we learn that a generous vineyard worker has hired people early in the morning, middle of the day, later in the day, and he has agreed to pay them certain amounts, but at the end of the day, as the people who've worked longer start looking at what the paychecks are, they realize they're all the same, even though their time cards are different. And at the end of the, of the story, the vineyard worker says, wait, I'm generous, and if you're on the end of people working in the end of the day, you're like, yes. If you're at the beginning of the day, you don't like it so much. And the vineyard worker says in verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. Then in verse 17, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flagged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, the book of Matthew includes three predictions of Jesus' death at this point. Two previous. This is the third, which I am guessing then, because the disciples haven't changed, that they're having a hard time grasping this. <laughs> Why does he repeat it three times in the course of time? I feel like if Brian had ever said to me, by the way, at some point I'm going to die and then be raised back to life, I feel like I would remember that conversation. For some reason, they're having a hard time coming to grips with it, and I think it's maybe the suffer part. Because we all know Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the conquering king. He's going to come up and clean house. Instead, he says he is going to die. Jesus is the son of man. 
in this reference, it says the Son of Man will suffer. This is a, a reference to Jesus himself. And when he says that the Gentiles are going to mock and flog and crucify him, these are people, Roman officials, who do not follow the Old Testament way. They do not believe in God. Well, after Jesus has reminded them yet again that he's going to suffer and die, it says then a mother approaches Jesus. This mom has two boys. Okay, I have two boys. And I love to ask for things for them. Can you pick them up from soccer? Can you have them over? Yes, please take them after church. Okay? I want them to have the best friends, the best coaches. I want them to have the best shoes because I really think shoes are important. I want them to eat well. I tell them to eat protein. I tell them to drink and hydrate. I want to help them get as much sleep as they can so that they can thrive. This is all normal, right? I want the best for my boys. So as we study and listen to this today, let's remember that this is a mama talking about her boys, okay? It says in verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, a sign of humility, asked a favor of him. Jesus, what is it that you want? She said, grant that one of my sons may sit on your right and the other at the left in your kingdom, meaning in all of eternity once we all die and this is over. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, say the boys. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, and, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These, place, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said to all of the disciples, now Jesus is speaking, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the Roman officials, they lord it over them, the people, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come, meaning Jesus, okay, did not come to serve, but to be served. but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brian, I am missing the last page of my sermon. Could you go in the back and find it? <laughs> I just realized there aren't enough papers here. Now let's start with the mom again, okay? Because I can identify and some of you in the room can, okay? I imagine two options before this conversation. One is... The mother's proud as heck that two of her boys, not just one, are following Jesus. Oh my gosh. Have you heard about Jesus? He heals people. He's a really good teacher. Yeah, both of my boys got asked. Right? Two of my boys follow Jesus. There are only 12. I got one-sixth of the disciples have my name. I am pumped. And not just any two, James and John, two that we actually remember the names of 2,000 years later. <laughs> or she's actually pretty pissed. Not only one of my boys, but Jesus took two of them. And do you know what that means? Do you know that great family business that we have going on? 
Yeah, the two that are supposed to inherit that business are now following Jesus. My husband now, who's getting old, by the way, and fishing is not easy. Now my husband's got the burden. Oh, and it wasn't enough for to have James and John. He took Peter too, one of the best fishermen that we have. That guy's got guts, you know what? He's a really good worker. Jesus took him too. I don't know how the mother felt. But either way, she's looking for something from Jesus. I read something just this past week that said they were brought up in evangelical traditions where you're supposed to submit to the Lord and whatever your will is. But she said, every time I go to the scriptures, I see Jesus saying to the people, what is it that you want? So even though we're going to talk about service and slavery and sacrifice today, I want you to remember that Jesus goes not just to this mother, but after this story, two blind men, and he starts the conversation with, what is it that you want? I don't know what the mother's attitude was, whether it was good or bad, negative or positive, or maybe a blending of it all, but she just wants her boys to get a good seat at the table in eternity. And actually, not just like good seats, the best seats. Anyone been following the queen's death? I've been looking up some of what's been happening. It's fascinating because it's so different than our culture. But in old pictures of where the queen would sit, holy smokes, you guys, she had this long red robe that's literally like in the movies. I mean, she's sitting here in the robes like there to where Tabitha and Emerson are. It's huge. Her crown are you kidding? And on the left is her spouse, and on the right is her immediate heir. So we're talking tight. So where does the mom want James and John to sit? Right nearby. Maybe some of you have no idea what that like, really feels like. Do you remember going to birthday parties as a, ch as a child? Who did you want to sit by? The birthday kid. Same thing. I also think it's interesting that Jesus says, for those of you who want to be great, what is it that you want? The mother, the boys, the other disciples, me. I do want to be great. I want my church to be amazing so that you come back and that you follow Jesus. I want my kids to do well. I, I do. I want to be great, God. Well, what is this great? The reason I brought up Make America great again is because in the Greek, it's literally mega. Okay, so mega, mega. I don't know if that's what they were thinking. What is it to be great? If it is weight, it is heavy. If it is height, it is tall. If it is wealth, it is much. If it's age, it's old. If it's numbers, it's many. If it's rank, it's powerful. That is what greatness is. Jesus says if you want to be great. He doesn't say, don't want to be great. He doesn't say, shoot for, like, pitifulness. <laughs> he doesn't say, shoot for what is bad, okay? He says, if you want to be great, I am going to redefine for you what that means. He talks about a cup. Now, you could spend the next four months looking up what cup means in the Bible, both the old and the new. In this case, the cup literally means suffering. When Jesus is in the garden, before he was betrayed, 
He prays with God, the Father, and says, please let this cup pass from me. And what he's talking about is the suffering that he's about to endure. So what does it mean to be great, everyone? Point number one, suffering. Jesus addresses the 12. So it's not just the mom and the boys that are involved now. Now Jesus is bringing everyone together and he says, okay, you're not going to be like the Roman officials that everybody hates, actually. I'm pretty sure even the Romans, some of them, were getting tired. So sometimes, I'm going back to politics because it's, an, it's a political season right now, we sometimes get caught in thinking, oh, if we can just vote in the right person, they're going to save our country. Or if we can just get the right leaders in place, everything's going to be fine. And sometimes, yes, even we who say God is king, sometimes we even think a political leader is what is going to give us hope. And we have to remind each other, wait, we're not talking about Jesus. These are humans, right? Okay, well, Caesar, he really did think that he was the savior. The leader of the day actually really thought that he was going to save not just Jerusalem and not just the parts of the area where he had leadership, he wanted to conquer the planet. And that was who was in charge. And Jesus says, that's not what we're going to be like. We're not looking for a powerful leader who's a conquering hero. That's not what it's going to look like in my kingdom. Power and authority, lording it over, having hierarchy, that's not what's going to work here, and that is not greatness. Philippians 2, Jesus is described like this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Right after this section with Jesus and the disciples, Jesus comes into Jerusalem where he's going to die and suffer and then rise again. He comes in on a donkey. Leaders at this time would come in on a horse if they were in battle or looking for power. When they came in on a donkey, it meant a mission of peace. Jesus came, it says, to be a servant or a slave. And in the Greek, it literally means where we get the word deacon from. One who carries out the demands or commands of another. One who carries out the demands or commands of another. That is what Jesus came to be. And in fact, in the vernacular, it can also mean someone who runs errands. So you want to be great, Jesus says. It means suffering. Oh, and by the way, it means being a slave. Now, slave is not a word I love in Christian hymns, songs, or the Bible. It does not feel like a comfortable word to even talk about from the pulpit because of what it means in this country. It's very uncomfortable. It goes along with trauma. Conquering. Demanding something from another people group because of the color of their skin. Now, what's even crazier is that in this time, anyone could become a slave at any time. And if you were born into slavery, you were likely a slave your whole life. So slavery was something that people did in order to pay back debt. 
And if you couldn't pay it back, you were sold into slavery. And the minute that your child was able-bodied, they became a slave. You could buy your freedom, but it was not super easy. And sometimes we think like, well, slavery in the Bible, it wasn't like all beatings and oppression and slave ships. No, it wasn't. But nor was it like a life of just where they got to go to work and come home at night. Slaves were not allowed to get married. They could not defend their bodies if they were being used in ways that they did not agree with. So this is the context when Jesus says, I'm asking you to become a slave. It is not comfortable. When I told you about this passage, this is not comfortable. Jesus is calling people to freedom, as it says in the passage. I came to rescue, but I also came to serve. Jesus came to be a servant. He gave himself, himself as a ransom to free us. And it says to free many. So just a note there, as we think about being a slave or a servant, we don't, we don't get to pick who we serve. Sometimes I think we get this image of servants and slaves and we like, oh yeah, I mean, I'm going to wash your feet for sure. Those children, even in the nursery, even if I don't really love kids, of course I would sacrifice. And I mean, I could maybe get there with people that I like or people that deserve it. And I just don't think that that's also what Jesus is saying. Let's think about the opposite for a minute so we can maybe get comfortable. <clears throat> Imagine Jesus is like Queen Elizabeth and he's got the crown and the long robe. And I don't know, maybe the Father and the Holy Spirit on either side of him. But then he has a scepter. And again, the diamonds. <laughs> or imagine he is a warrior or a leader in battle. And he is going to take out Russia and help out Ukraine. Or he's going to go to Syria and somehow figure that out. D does that feel ridiculous or easier? <laughs> I don't know but I don't think it's the image of Jesus. Instead, he's asking these disciples to drink the same cup. They are going to shoulder a cross. They are going to suffer. Now, what mother wants that for her children? What sibling wants that? What friend wants their favorite missionary family to get sick because of where they chose to live? Is Jesus really serious about this? And, well, maybe it was just for those 12. I mean, they're the apostles. They started the church. Come to Jesus and lose. Come to Jesus and be uncomfortable. We're going to pack the seats with this message, Brian. I have, a new, I have a new strategy for us. Come to Jesus and be last. Lose popularity. Lose your friends. Go to the worst daycare. Be last in line at pickup at school. Get the worst job. Don't get paid enough. Lose your house. Choose to live in a manufactured park. Don't buy any new clothes for a year. Have your kid be the bench warmer. Okay, I'm going to go back to it. Make, a great, make America great again by us being the last in the world economically powerfully. Make the church great again by choosing to build on the worst street in town. Pick the oldest building. Now, it's not just for the sake 
of being the worst. It's that somehow in doing that, you're serving others because you're putting them first. You are somehow adding to the kingdom by doing that. This also doesn't mean you're going to be the last because you're lazy or because you're not trying or because you're an idiot and you don't know how to keep your mouth shut and you lose friends, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being last because it's easier or whatever. Okay, you with me? It's choosing it intentionally because you're choosing God's generosity over your own. It means trusting that God has your back and you're actually going to listen to the Holy Spirit when it's prompting you to do something. It means not asking, maybe, for the best seat in the house. Matthew 10.39, just in case, you know, don't pick one or two verses and make bad theology out of it. Matthew 10.39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, okay, you will find it. 1 Corinthians 15.36, when you plant a seed, it must die before it starts a new life. What does it look like for us to suffer and serve? Join us as we figure it out, I guess. <laughs> because I don't think that for all of you it means the same thing. There's no way. We are all given different gifts, different abilities. Do you know who William Wilberforce is? William Wilberforce was a leader in England. He fought for uh, the slave trade to be illegal, made illegal. He fought for it, fought for it, fought for it. An amazing guy. Look him up. But I read a book about him this weekend, and you know what strikes me? He did live out his faith. He was a Christian and fought slavery. He was also super wealthy. He was one of the like most, it's crazy how much money the guy had given to him from his ancestors. He gave tons of money away. But do you know what I will always remember from now on about William Wilberforce after reading this book? He loved children. This very important person in history. We have books. Uh, the Brits love him. He was buried in Westminster Abbey, which is only reserved for the best of the best of the best in England. He always stopped what he was doing if a child needed something, included his own. There's a humility about him that everyone wrote about who knew him. He cut his own income and expenses so that he could give more away, even though he gave like half of his income away. He quit his job with Parliament so that he could know his children. One time, his youngest was put on his lap, and he didn't recognize his own father, and he quit his job because he said, I want, it, I want to know my children. That's what it meant for William Wilberforce. You know, just end slave trade, give away a lot of money, and quit my job so I can be with my kids. I don't know what it looks like for you. We're not all William Wilberforces. But I do know that Jesus asks us to give up our life for his sake. Brian, do you want to come up? And we are going to continue in worship with song. If you have kids in Sunday school, ask them what they studied today. I can't wait to hear from Kristen how she figured out how to teach that to the youngers. Maybe they can lead us. Maybe that's one of the ways, is they can serve us by helping us know how we can be last.